episode 232, Breaking Kayfabe about it and Barry. Right at the start, Barry, at the time we're recording this, it is Monday afternoon, and I know Barry and Lou and myself uh, all want to send along our best wishes, uh, thoughts, and prayers uh, for the family of Scott Hall. Uh, literally 30 seconds ago, I checked my Twitter feed to see if there was any updated news. Uh, I believe he's being taken off life support. Uh, Barry Scott Hall, uh, of course, famously Razor Ramon in the WWE, but also a guy that spent some time in CWF towards the very end. Yeah, so he did. He, Scott Hall came in. It was, uh, I believe it was 85, 86 when Scott Hall came in. And this was uh, really unique. These were the dying days of CWF for the most part. And what they had announced before he had come in uh, was that they had signed a wrestler to a million dollar contract and Scott Hall wound up being the guy. I don't think it was, it made a huge impact, you know, for probably a variety of reasons. One being Scott was still fairly new to the business, I think, but he had a great look. Uh, you know, I, I think if you look at Scott Hall in his heyday and I would actually go back to, I think the eighties or maybe the early nineties prior to the razor Ramon thing. And, you know, there was like, it was Magnum Scott Hall. He looked as close to Tom Selleck as you're going to get, I think. So he was a good-looking hey, guy. Wasn't he one of the American Starship too? Was with Danny Spivey. Yes, yeah. uh, I don't know if he and, was Eagle or Coyote or uh, whatever he was. I don't know either. Now, if you've seen Danny Spivey lately, that's a uh, that that's a big change there. Badass though, Danny Spivey, and actually Scott Hall was too. But you know, Scott Hall was one of those guys. First off, a lot of our listeners love Scott Hall. This is the generation that that liked him as Razor Ramon and then saw the NWO invading uh, WCW. And let me stop you right there. Just before anyone says anything, I don't want people to think uh, at the time of this recording that we're talking about Scott in the past tense. Uh, when, when he said, you know, when we say he was here or he did, you know, d don't think that we're like putting him in the grave yet. Trust me. I speak on behalf of everybody. I hope he kicks out of this damn thing. Uh, you know, uh, because certainly Post uh, post his wrestling career, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Barry. He, oh, he's had his struggles. Everybody knows I'm not breaking any new ground there. Uh, what a kick in the balls, though, for somebody who have finally appeared to have made it past that uh, hip surgery. And, you know, boom, three heart attacks after the hip surgery. That's just a real kick in the crotch. So please, Barry, continue. But I just wanted to put it out there. It, we're not putting him in the grave yet, folks. Yeah, we in, it, just to clarify what Jeff just said as well, not that it needs clarification. The story that is currently going around at the time of this recording is three heart attacks in a uh, on life support waiting for the family to all be gathered at at his hospital bedside where he will be taken off of life support. And I would assume subsequently pass. So as far as we do know, at the time of this recording, he is still with us, though it does appear that the end is imminent. But with that, too, that's very similar to Chris Candido, Jeff, the way that you just framed that Chris Candido, a guy that had gone through a lot of shit with his uh, with drugs and uh, and his girlfriend, et cetera, and had made some bad decisions and had some really bad shit go down and appeared to get his life back on track, suffers a broken leg at an impact taping. Apparently, blood clot goes to the, the heart, I believe, and he dies at a young age. So it wasn't related to drugs or anything. And Scott Hall's another one that apparent, you know, appears that he, he really was able to turn his life around. And 
you know, we've been critical about Scott Hall on this podcast. And I think, you know, I think in all fairness, we should we should explore it all. But Scott Hall was a guy that he made a lot of mistakes in his life. And this is not an indictment in any form. In a lot of ways, I don't know if Scott Hall ever had a chance. You know, I've read stories of Scott Hall's youth, which was a, you know, a lot of, right, there's no secret here. A lot of bad shit occurs to you during your childhood. This carries over into adulthood. And Scott had some bad stuff go down in his childhood. And he, at one point, had actually murdered a guy. Do you remember this story? Yeah, I did. Yeah. He was, was was it when he was a bouncer? He it was at a bar somewhere in the Orlando okay. area. I don't I don't think it was Orlando specific. It was one of these suburbs, and it was I everything I've heard. It was a like shanty type of bar, like you know, just not a a place you would go. And I I believe somebody came after him. It was self defense, is what I've heard. I, I know that he wasn't uh, uh, he wasn't prosecuted for this, or he didn't serve any jail time. So there there were some circumstances, but couple in a, a rough childhood, serious alcohol, drug abuse. Again, that goes with a rough childhood, this murder that occurred, which screwed up his life. And Scott Hall sounds like a guy that made a lot of mistakes. I will say the people that love Scott Hall really appear to love him a lot. And I think that that should be testament that, you know, look, I, I saw some behavior at Scott Hall years ago at a fan fest and you know, I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat this. It just, it really left a bad taste in my mouth with that. The people that knew him best and knew him closest have been all over social media. And I'm not just talking about Kevin Nash or Sean Waltman, or, you know, it it appears anybody that came across Scott Hall in the wrestling business is putting the word out there about how much they love the guy. And those really should be the people that, that should be doing that. You know what I mean? It's it, this is a it's a tough situation. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for his family. I feel bad for his friends. I feel bad for the fans who love this guy because for again, for a lot of people, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were it. This was a really big deal. And it's, you know, losing a hero. I lost Billy Robinson eight years ago. Right. And, you know, I cried that day. I have no problem telling you I lost Rocky Johnson. I, when I say I right, it really it wasn't me the world lost, uh, you know, these people world lost Rocky Johnson two years ago. And I cried, you know, it's, uh, this is a, this is one of those things. So never discount the importance that the fact that maybe somebody only met Scott Hall at a fan fest for two minutes, but maybe that was so impactful for them that Scott Hall was their hero that when he passes, they're going to be as upset as maybe I was, or Jeff, maybe, you know, you were just telling me a story before we went on air about a time that you were, you were really upset, you know, and it never discount that. So as much of a long shot as this sounds like we're, we're really hopeful that a miracle can occur here and Scott Hall is able to kick out. Well, and you know, a uh, couple things, uh, you know, how, how long ago was it that Ric Flair people had essentially put him in the grave and, and Rick kicked out, you know? And so we're certainly hoping, uh, Scott does, you know, I saw you were talking about things that people were posted. Uh, Just Incredible uh, posted a really uh, thoughtful story about how when he was, uh, I guess, in the Federation and uh, Scott came up to him and asked him, oh, uh, who are you riding with to the next town? And he said, oh, I'm riding with uh, Patterson and Jay Strongbow. 
And he said, Scott Hall said, oh, no, forget that. Because if you ride with those guys, all the boys are going to think you're a stooge. So you don't want to do that. You come ride with me. And Justin Credible goes, are you kidding? And he goes, no, I'm not kidding. Now come ride with me before I change my damn mind. And so he said, out of that, a friendship between the two of them was formed. So that was a really nice story. I, I just want to mention one of the, one of my favorite things, you know, Scott Hall, before he became Razor Ramon, uh, you know, he, uh, he did the, uh, was it the Diamond Stud? I think he was in WCW. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, of course, and we said he was the, part of the American Starship, whether it was Coyote or Eagle, I can't remember. But one of the things, when he signed the contract with CWF, of course, I believe by that point, uh, if Gordon was still there, he was not a central part of the show the way he had been. And John Heath had taken over a lot of the uh, announcing duties. And it always used to crack me up that Coach John Heath, God bless him, always referred to uh, Scott Hall as Mr. Big Scott Hall. <laughs> just, just always cracked me up that he was Mr. Big Scott Hall. So, uh, Scott, man, we, we hope you kick out of this one, brother, uh, at the time we're recording this and, um, that you'll be at, uh, uh, fan fest again so that your fans uh, can see you and, uh, all your, uh, all your guys in the NWO, uh, back at another fan fest. So now Barry continuing with the show episode two thirty two today, uh, Barry, speaking of, uh, Scott Hall and his time uh, that he spent in WCW, we're going to the rings of WCW. We're going, I want to say. April 30th, 1994, but in a rather unique to this podcast, and it's very rare we can say that, Barry, we have a match that takes place over, I believe, four or five episodes of WCW Saturday night, as it is, oh, the nature boy, Ric Flair, he is going after a man who was featured prominently on a pay-per-view recently, it's his lordship, no, not Barry Rose, it's his lordship, Stephen Regal, in the not not the Marquis de Sade rules. It's Marquis de Queen, the Marquis de Queensberry rules, which is a very unique uh, kind of match where basically, Barry, what happens is they go out and they wrestle five-minute rounds. And in this case, they had five of the rounds. And it's very interesting because when the match first starts, the quote-unquote first round is, uh, I think they have uh, Bobby Heenan out there with Tony Schiavone. By the time the match is over, it's Tony Schiavone and Jesse Ventura. And so the commentary is different. And also, basically, I want to say that Ric Flair's character had turned from a baby face to a heel by the time the match was over uh, in more ways than one. And again, this is because they're, you know, uh, whether they taped the entire match and one taping or whether or not they, you know, did. Because, you know, it's funny because Ric Flair, without spoiling anything, the very beginning of the match when he comes out to the ring, he's shaking the kids' hands, high-fiving kids at ringside. And by the time the match is over, when he comes out to ringside, apparently Hogan had signed with WCW. So all of a sudden, he's not shaking the kids' hands. He's trash-talking Hulk Hogan, who's coming to WCW. And so it was a lot of fun. So besides talking about that match, uh, lots lots of stuff to talk about there. little food talk from Barry Rose. Always appreciated when Barry talks about food with us. Mm. And we will be talking a little Florida man or not. Hopefully, by God, we've had this in the bank a while. We'll get our Florida Man or Not segment out, Barry. Are you ready to go? This is the Florida Man we've had since, what, 1846? Uh, I think it was the summer of 1846. Now oh, that the you summer. Some of these stories, uh, I, I'm not sure Florida was a state. <laughs> right, <laughs> it right. might be the Florida Territory, <laughs> literally, uh, at that point. So I tell you what, why don't we start, Barry, 
let's talk let's talk our match of the week. Uh, Ric Flair versus Stephen Regal. Uh, Stephen accompanied to the ring by uh, uh, William Dundee. Uh, you know, w- was it Sir William Dundee? Uh, who, by the way, forgotten in time. Uh, while Bill Dundee, superstar, absolutely an incredible worker, an incredible wrestler, an incredible star in Memphis. He was hilarious as the like the I don't know the butler for Lord Stephen Regal just did his role so perfectly and I mean he's a champ he's a credit to the business you know Bear yeah without it was really funny too he was only in for a little bit and uh, he was also funny he was in CWF I don't know if you remember he that's right in, yeah which was brief I think it was during the whole Crockett takeover yes. and a Crockett takeover also of Kansas City. And Dundee was in Kansas City. I guess they didn't want to use him in Crockett, so they put him in the lesser territories, which definitely CWF was at that point. And uh, Kansas City, you know, uh, no offense to anybody from the Kansas City area, was always a lesser territory. Shout out to our listeners in the Kansas City (laughs) market. As we defame your wrestling territory. Don't blame us. Blame Bob Geigel. Yeah, which and uh, what was the other guy? Uh, the uh, the stooge, uh, Bulldog Bob uh, Brown. Brown, yes. Who apparently was responsible. So this is a uh, it's this is a first off, it's a good match, in, in that you've got two really good wrestlers. Flair still very good at this point. William Regal, I I would say he was maybe peaking or close to peaking at this stage. Was he Stephen or William here? Remind me, because I watched Stephen the match here, like a week I'm or so. Correct. I believe it's Steven here. I think okay. William is what happened when he went to the Federation. The Federation, yeah, yeah. I believe. So I think he's Steven here. And the work between these two is fantastic. Should say Regal is Darren Matthews' real name, uh, which might uh, just make it a little bit easier for us. Here was a guy that, and I think this was referenced on AEW television recently, a guy that had some serious drug problems, possibly alcohol problems. And uh, it, I don't know if you remember, Jeff, and I, I know that you don't watch a lot of the WWF, but when he first came in, they brought him in in kind of a lumberjack gimmick. It was William Regal, the man's man or something. Yeah, I, remember, I do that. remember that. I remember that gimmick. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't be many, more, many, you couldn't be any more off. Than, yeah. than to saddle. Just another example of they, they clearly have no idea what they were doing. I'll share this with you because I only learned this yesterday as I decide to knock the WWE and their creative powers. I was texting with Steve Kern, who will be appearing at the next CWF Legends Fan Fest on June the 4th. That's a nice uh, way to segue into a plug for you. Go ahead. Not, not quite as sleazy as it, as it normally might be. <laughs> so a little better, but... He will be there in attendance, and what we're doing is we're having guys do different gimmicks. So we're we're texting, and I said, Steve, would you would you like to appear? Would you would you also appear not only as Steve Kern but also as Skinner? And he sends me the original concept drawing for Skinner, and you wouldn't believe I, I never knew this because again, you know, this, this is not something that I don't know was ever discussed. The original concept for Skinner was that they were going to put him in a hat similar to the hat that Gilligan wore on Gilligan's Island and turn up. And I, I, so immediately I'm like, why would they do that? And his response is, why do they do anything that they do? There's a, a which really, again, reinforces that there is a, a real lack of understanding 
what the audience want, what, what the buying public wants. And I always look, I don't want to get on a rant and that's clearly I'm already headed down this direction. Is there a, another company that listens less to their, their, their consumer than the WWE? If you want to be successful, don't do one of these, uh, these research deals where you talk to a group of a hundred fans, reach out to people privately, go have somebody reach out to fans, give them a free t-shirt at live events, spend some time with them and, and see if they know what the problem is or what their thoughts are. Because clearly creative doesn't know with the name changes, et cetera, getting back to the match, which again, I clearly have ADD and get sidetracked. No, you actually, you make a good point because think about like market researchers and yes. it's funny because, uh, my sister-in-law, Kelly Morrison, that's what she does. She's one of these people that had, you know, they, they set up in a mall and you walk past them. Hey, can you give me five minutes? Uh, I, I just want to ask you a question. And they ask you about movies, television, pop culture, live. Uh, you know, and think about it, the, the point you make, you go to a WWE uh, house show, okay, yeah. and you pay a guy or a couple of guys or a couple of people to stand up by the snack bar, and you're getting, you know, Barry and I are getting ready to go up and get a, a, a nice beverage, and you go, hey, guys, uh, we'll uh, we'll buy your beverage here if you'll give us five minutes of your time so we can just ask you a couple questions. Hey, what do you think of this uh, this character? What what do you think about this wrestler? Uh, do you like him? Do you not? You, and you, and guess what? Your market research is done right there at the fucking building. It's not hard. Anyway, it's not. It's not. But but think about it, Jeff. Too think about from the perspective of asking questions like, how many live events have you attended? Take out the COVID aspect. Exactly. Uh, and then if you haven't attended live events, why not? Why Why is it yeah. this specific event? Are many, you watching our TV product? Yeah. Which have really you, have you be bought our pay-per-views or our, our you know, yeah. additional content? Are you a WWE subscriber? All those kind of things, you know? If you stopped watching, look, I, I can't watch Monday Night where I can't watch any WWE product because it's boring. And in my head, I go through it and I say, yeah, the camera work sucks, right? Which yeah. it does. The camera work almost makes me want to vomit the way that they jiggle it around so much that the talking segments of hor with horrible acting that go on for 15 minutes. But above all else, the show is not compelling and I'm bored to death. That should be the takeaway. You're doing nothing to sustain my interest at all. They need to do this. And honestly, what if you took a popular figure of the WWE, who would be popular right now? I, I'm asking you, like, you know, like you're uh, going to okay. know. If I don't know, you definitely don't know. Lesnar? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess Lesnar, but maybe that's a little bit too. But maybe a guy like Kofi Kingston, right? Okay. Middle of the road, been around for like 15 years and he's popular. What if you said, if you spend 10 minutes with me and answer my questions honestly and truthfully, you and your family will get to meet Kofi Kingston. And then Kofi Kingston at the end of the night gets to gets to take a photo with with groups of fans like big deal, right? Like what's yeah. the, no harm, no foul. The market research is, is it. And again, I always go back to McDonald's. McDonald's will test new products all the time. And if these products don't sell and they don't work, they're done. They move on. End of story. They do it because it's a business. I, I just don't understand why WWE has never listened to the fans. They don't care. They can tell you whatever they want to tell you, but they clearly don't listen or take ideas from any of us. And it's just, and again, I don't submit any ideas, but at the same time, your product is boring. It is a, it's terminally boring. 
I mean, for the life of me, I can't see how anybody could watch it for three hours. And I'm not a hater. This is not coming from a place of hate. This is coming from a place of, I would love to turn on the TV for three hours and see compelling wrestling taking place because I would, I would love to watch that. That's what I want to see. My God, you just can't offer that to us. Getting back to the match, Jeff, I'm glad you explained the rules because I didn't fucking understand much of this at all, right? Uh, yes. f- five minutes, five-minute rounds. Yes, it, it's taken place over, I guess, a month or two. What a horrible idea for a match, though. <laughs> like, like, here you've got two guys that could probably, in a perfect world, put on a clinic of professional wrestling. A fucking clinic. Instead, you're going in five minute rounds and dragging it out over a number of weeks where so you've got the, the first thing I thought of, Barry. Yes. And it's it's a word that you and I know well. Content. <laughs> you know, this, <laughs> this is giving them content for four to five episodes or four to five episodes of WCW Saturday night. I mean, you know, that I think that's very fair that that's if that's what they intended to do. They gave themselves content for five shows. Yeah, but it, okay, they did, but it wasn't successful content. That's and, fair. And, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, you can give people content, but if it's not good, what's really the purpose with this? Why not have, I mean, okay, fantasy booking right here. You're looking at five weeks. I'm not familiar right? with that. Well, right. And I'm sure the majority of our listening audience isn't familiar either. I'm sure that they are, but why not have a great match between these two? Why not have a rematch? One guy wins, the next week the other guy wins, and then have the rubber match on the third week. They're giving you content for three weeks. I can worry about those other two weeks. It just, it just none of it seems to make any sense. I should say, th- was this during the Jim Hurd era? Uh, ninety. No, I think ninety-four. Jim Hurd was past. He I was even past was Bill Watts. It is past Watts. Who would be ninety? Yeah. Was Bischoff there at this point? This might have been very early in Bischoff's. Uh, yeah. Well, it, and we should say, too, this being the only match that's ever occurred like this, somebody got the note in the in the, me- the memo, right? Like, <laughs> this isn't going to work, so we'll stop it. But bad idea. I would have booked this, as I'm sure you're about to unfold, I would have booked this completely different. Please, Jeff. So I, I understand your complaints. I think there are valid complaints. But I... I like the concept, but I think your criticisms are extremely fair uh, because you didn't, it, it never got a chance to really turn into a, uh, you know, a, a 30 minute match where there was a story, you know, there was a story told, but it wasn't able to be done. You know, uh, it, it's like if you have a really good movie, but instead of watching it like uh, over a two or two and a half hour period, you you watch it like uh, in twenty five minute or you know or even less like you know basically ten minute segments and you have to literally stretch it out over all these weeks. So uh, I liked some of the stuff because you got the the entrances to the ring and the way you know because Regal was he was so phenomenal and this was he was at a relatively young age here you know he he had to be like late twenties maybe uh, or, or thereabouts. Uh, but I enjoyed the interplay between he and Bill Dundee watching the change in Ric Flair was friggin' hilarious. 
how he reacted to the fans because, of course, five weeks are now going by. Some of the lines from Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura, big shock here, uh, were were very funny and very entertaining. I think this was uh, a interesting failed experiment. Now, I say that I don't want to sit there and, you know, I'm going to put this match out there in the group and I don't want people to say, oh, well, it's a... It, Boys are kind of putting the boots to it. I'm not going to fucking watch it. No, it's interesting to watch because um, the the stuff they do in the ring is absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's not like you're sitting there saying, oh, this is some kind of piece of shit match. No, it's just a match that stops and then starts and then stops and starts. And you got the ring introductions all over. There are parts of this match that are very frustrating, but there are parts of this match that are very compelling too. And some of the, you know, the, by, by the way, Barry, uh, I think we've both been extremely remiss at this point to mention that there are three judges keeping score at ringside, one of whom may have been a guest. Actually, two of whom have been guests on this very fine Peabody and Sherman winning, uh, award-winning podcast. We have Nick Patrick and our old friend Jim Berkeley out there uh, looking very nice with the bow tie and the blue shirt and stuff like that. And then uh, Terry Taylor uh, in his suit. Uh, very always nice to see our friends uh, Nick and, uh, and Jim Berkeley. Yeah, we look, we love Nick Patrick. On that note, this is going to be an unsolicited plug, but have you seen the shirts he's doing for Deep South Wrestling, Jeff? I have not. Please elaborate. So there I saw this last week and I immediately like, how the fuck can I get one of these? It is it's a black t shirt with yellow lettering that says Deep South Wrestling, and then it is an image of the assassin dead Ooh. center in yellow. This is a must-have shirt. We need to get Nick back on the podcast just to talk about this shirt and let everybody know where you can get it. I, I'm going to have to get one of these, Jeff. They're fantastic. I think you and I both need to be sporting one of those at the uh, CWF Legends Fan Fest in you Lutes, Florida. You mean the one coming up June? June. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you were doing. I cut you off. There you go. So we will post a link uh, to this uh, Marquis <laughs> from uh, April 30th, 1994. Ric Flair versus Steven Regal. If nothing else, okay, if it's not Flair Steamboat, it's a fun match because uh, Steven Regal at this point was very. And by the way, let me just say, uh, I know it's been a, a hot tick since I had a chance to do this. His book, Barry Drew's book. I did. Very good stuff. Yeah, really, really bright guy. Is it Walking a Golden Mile or something? Walking, yeah, similar? Walking the Golden Mile, I think is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And good stories about not not just, you know, his uh, his incredible recovery. Uh, from the the depths of addiction and alcoholism and all that, uh, but also really good wrestling stories too about his time in uh, WCW wrestling wrestling in England and the UK and stuff like that. And uh, very well traveled. And like I said, he gets to you know he gets to this country and boom, it's like you know this is a guy no one's ever you know I won't say no one's ever heard of him, but it, this is not like oh yeah we know exactly who this guy is. Like this is you know. Uh, Brian Danielson walking through the door, but like literally from his first match, you're like, hey, this guy knows what the hell he's doing. Obviously uh, a terrific wrestler, terrific guy, interesting matchup. I'm not sure if he and flair ever wrestled against one another again. I'm not really sure. I, uh, I, I want to say that I think that they might have, but I'm not really entirely sure with that. I, I, if it was, it would have only been one or two other matches. So, now let's switch, smooth segue, uh, to a little food talk. Barry, you up to a little food talk, my man? 
I love food talk. I know you are a big fan of talking about food. Uh, dare I say, Barry, a lover of food. So, Barry, my wife, uh, the sainted Mrs. Bounder, and I had a chance to go out to a local Mexican restaurant. It's called Tacos and Tequila. Mm. Barry, uh, as we are speaking, I want you to check your phone because I just sent you something, an image that I took at the restaurant uh, that night. And I wanted to make this a talking point because on uh, the, the station where the host or hostess stands, there is a sign that said, quote, returned items are not are non-refundable. If we make a mistake on your order, we'll gladly resolve it. Please ask your server if you have any questions. No substitutions. Barry, have you gotten the image? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm okay, reading it right so, now. And when I talked to you about this before recording, because we occasionally talk, I don't know if people know that. You said this was something that you felt was becoming more common in the restaurant industry. So please explain. It, this is I, I want to say this is a reaction to COVID, right? Because the world as we know it has essentially changed because of COVID. And businesses, especially where there are large groups of people, which would be restaurants, they've also had to change how they operate. But when I see something like this, this there's definitely two sides to it. So let me let me, I guess, talk about the first side of this, which is the side where I understand why this is occurring. I worked for Universal Studios, right? I, I've talked about it. I was a manager, Jeff, not a server. Thank and you. I worked Check. I just wanted to clarify. And I worked for Universal for a few years. I saw you your lovely bride and your kids as well when you came by one day and i was like holy shit i hadn't talked to you in a while and it was like holy and i shit. said hey barry how's it going can i get a comp meal i remember that's that. what it was i think that's exactly <laughs> what it was and then and then as you pointed out like months later i think you said you know you didn't even comp me out that day so uh but with that it was a very diverse clientele it's a nice way to say it at universal yeah, it's a crossroads of the world and you get all kinds of people I had come from an area in working in New York where I was also working as a manager, Jeff, and it was the second highest concentration of millionaires. The difference being they could be extremely difficult, but money was really not the issue with those people. In Orlando, when I worked for Universal Studios, and really within my first month there, there were days I would have to walk in the cooler, shut the door and scream my head off because people would come in. People would eat their entire meal, leave maybe a bite and say, I don't like this. It's not what I ordered and it's not good and expect that to come off the menu. And it was very clear. All they were trying to do was scam a free meal. If you don't want it, don't eat it. Right. If that's not what you ordered or what you expected, maybe my description wasn't what you were thinking in your head. Maybe you shouldn't have eaten it and we'll take that off your check. That has always struck me as the right way to do business in a restaurant. When I read a, a letter like this, a sign like this, it immediately, as a customer going in with money in my pocket, it puts me on the defensive. It's almost like, well, what if I get this and it sucks? Do I still have to pay for it? And Jeff, let me clearly say, I've paid for a lot of shitty meals in my life. I just don't go back to that restaurant. That's how I move on. When I see this, I'm assuming that this owner has gotten completely fed up, that people are trying to come in, scam them out of meals, eat for free. I'm not really sure exactly what it is. Well, but let, let me just let me just sure. 
jump in here. Uh, from what the server that we ask about this uh, said to us is there is a, uh, and you're absolutely right, where COVID very, very well may be playing a part of this. But like, for example, if you want uh, your item uh, and you say, oh, yeah, I'd like to have this uh, with no peppers. And they're like, okay, fine. Then your item comes out to you and you're looking at it and you're like, well, son of a bitch, man, peppers in here. I told him no peppers. Well, instead of going, uh, I'm sorry, please come over here. Yeah, I asked for no peppers and can they, you know, can you have them remake it? Oh, of course. Obviously, someone made an error. I'll have them remake it. No, what they're doing is eating the meal, leaving a bite or two, and then go, oh, yes. <laughs> peppers. I'm not paying for this shit. I said no peppers. That's what people are doing. Uh, I don't want to put the boots to any particular age group, but you know there appears to be one particular age group uh, that uh, is known for doing this, if I can put it that way and try to be nice. Yeah, yeah. Which, and I get that. And that, that's, I, that's exactly where all this starts from. So the issues that I would have with this, and then we can talk about the gratuity policy as well. And then, Jeff, you should definitely post this image in the, in the Facebook group. I think the big problem I have, so you're out to dinner with your wife, Kim, you have ordered, let's, let's say you ordered fajitas. Kim has ordered, uh, I don't know, something she's ordered a steak. You order fajitas. You say no peppers. It comes out with peppers. You return it. By the time your entree comes out, Kim has finished her steak. She is now watching you eat your fajitas. Is the restaurant liable to do something to make up for what is a less than perfect experience? Absolutely, they are. And in return, if I read this, you're telling me you're not going to comp it out. I'm not asking you per se to comp it out, but what are you going to do if you make a mistake? Because it almost seems like they're covering their ass. Oh, we fuck up. We'll, we'll redo it for you. But what happens? I've been in restaurants with a, a significant other where you know, they screw up on, on her order. And, you know, what am I supposed to do with mine? Do I eat it where she stares at me for 15 minutes now, or do I let it get cold? And then when hers comes, do I sit there and stare at her? Now, of course, there are probably exceptions to this sign. I'd have to think that this sign is more of a deterrent as opposed to actual policy, meaning that if there is some fuck up, look, there's a gray area here. Maybe management is going to come over and want to do the right thing. I do look at the gratuity policy. So let's also clearly reinforce this. You are under no obligation to ever pay a gratuity, whether there's a sign or not. This is not something you do not have to pay a gratuity. If they call the police, the police will tell you, sir, there's nothing we can do here. But when you read parties after 10 p.m., 15% gratuity, no exceptions. You know, if the bill is and I understand why they're doing this as well, because a lot of people will go in and totally fuck their servers. I've had it happen to me, Jeff, when I was a server. Every, if you've been, worked in a restaurant and been a server or a bartender, if you've been in a tip position, you have gotten fucked out of your tips at one point. I want to think, if anything, above all, that this sign is a deterrent to stop people bad customers from coming to try to come in and either fucking the restaurant or fucking their staff. I do want to hope in my heart that the restaurant, because this comes across as very almost militaristic in reading this, 
that in reality, this is just a deterrent for bad guests. If you've got a good guest, this is not something that they would stick to. That's my own thought process with it. So I, I have two things I want to uh, discuss about this. Number one, uh, my wife and I went down to uh, the uh, the Florida area this week uh, for uh, or this weekend for a, a party for a friend of my mom's. And we went out uh, with her friend Joy. We went out to a Marlowe's Tavern, uh, which I don't know if it's like a localized southern chain. I know uh, Marlowe's and I know Joy. So, yeah. Oh, OK. Well, there you go. And so uh, I ordered the uh, shrimp and grits. Okay. My meal comes out and uh, I had my, my grit cake was, I want to say at best lukewarm. My shrimp were just this shade of cold. Okay. And I was kind of like, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, she had chicken wings. I said, are your, are your wings cold? And she goes, no, they're fine. And I asked Joy and she said, no, my meal's fine too. I took like two bites and I went, yeah, this just is not acceptable. I didn't finish the whole friggin' thing though. I took literally two bites. The guy, uh, the server came over and he was doing a fine job, very attentive. And I said, yeah, I gotta be honest with you. I said, this, uh, this is not acceptable. I said, this is the Greek cake is cold. I said, the, or is lukewarm. The, the shrimp in fact are cold. I said, so I, I'm not going to have any of this. I said, and quite frankly, I said, we're, you know, we're out of, from out of town. So uh, I don't want to take it, you know, with me and heat it up at home because we're not at home. And he says, oh, that's fine. And he, he takes it. A couple seconds later, the uh, the manager comes over. Uh, I understand there was a problem. I said, yeah. And I explained to her what the problem was. And she said, okay. She goes, uh, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this off your bill, which she did not have to do. You know, let's be honest. She could have just said, oh, I'm very sorry. Thank you. And walked away. But she said, I'm going to take this off your bill. When the kid came back uh, with the, uh, the the bill, uh, he pointed out to us that, you know, look, your uh, your shrimp and grit meal was uh, was taken off your bill. My wife says, can you tell me what was the total before that was taken off? Because that's what we should tip you on because there's been nothing wrong with your service. There you go. And that's what we did. The other thing is, Barry, uh, regarding the tacos and tequila sign and other things. You know, there is a sense out there now, I believe, within the restaurant industry, and please tell me if I'm incorrect here, you know, uh, as the world becomes more a part of social media, you know, if you have a bad experience, like you know, like I pointed out there, if they had not taken that off my meal, you know, was the restaurant thinking, oh, this guy's going to go out on TripAdvisor or or one of these other things that, ah, these MFers, they didn't give me full value for my, you know, oh, one star. Is that becoming more of a problem, Barry? Negative reviews? I don't, I, I don't think it, I don't think it is. It was certainly a problem a while ago. I think the big issue right now that you're facing in restaurants is that people are, because rest, as any business apparently in the, in the world, but especially in our country, they're short staffed. You know, we we've discussed a few times how businesses can't open up on certain days or certain shifts because they don't have enough staff. And then there are notes at the door which say, please realize we're short staffed. Please treat my staff with respect. The flip side of that, and, and I say this because I'm seeing this a lot, is that people that should never be dealing with the general public have been hired to deal with the general public. And I'm seeing this in, uh, you know, I, I was in a Panera last week, four days ago, and uh, it, it was what I saw was terrible. 
there was a girl who literally wished she would have been anywhere else. And the woman was trying to talk to her to decide what she should order. Do you know, is this spicy? And the woman basically said, I don't know. Just like, but it was kind of like, it wasn't like, I don't know. Let me get an answer. It was more like, I don't know. And I don't give a shit is exactly what it came across. And you're seeing this a lot at restaurants again, because everybody is short staffed. I almost feel that it's, uh, and there's a Kava right near me, which I love Kava. It's exactly the same. If somebody has a pulse, they're hiring them currently. They're bringing them in to work with the public. But I think what's happening is you're making your money, but you're turning people off. And it's not a question of of guests coming in being rude. I'm sure in a lot of cases it is. But a lot of it is the staff just clearly doesn't give a shit because they don't think that they can get fired based off of what's currently taking place. Well, let me just say it's funny you mentioned that. All right. I got another story for you. So yesterday, after getting back in town, uh, Mrs. Bowden and I decided to go out and get a pizza. Okay, so we went to a, a place, and we've eaten there before. Uh, I want to say the place is perfectly fine. It's called Brooklyn Joe's. Perfectly fine restaurant. Uh, not like the end-all, be-all, but it's not like, you know, uh, bottom feeders or something like that. And we decided, you know, uh, needless to say, we didn't want to go uh, your uh, chain pizzas. So let's go there and get a pizza. So we walked in there. Now, just for the context of what I'm talking about, eh, like 5, 5.15-ish, okay? Wasn't like 7 o'clock main uh, restaurant time. We walked in there and the first thing they said was uh, from behind, oh, go ahead and seat yourself, uh, you know, wherever you want to sit. I said, we said, okay. So as we're looking and we wanted to sit in a booth, I saw no less than I believe five booths that had not been bust. Okay. Like yep. there was food and drink on the table. Okay. So we finally find one towards the back of the restaurant and we go sit down and then I look, and it's one of these restaurants where you walk in, there is a uh, a step. The other side, there is like where the, the cooks and the chefs are and stuff like that. So behind the first, I guess we'll say the first level of the restaurant staff, I sat there beside, and as I'm noting, I'm telling my wife, I said, wow, there's a hell of a lot of places we could have sat that we're not able to sit at because they're not bust. And then I looked and I started going, one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight employees standing there talking to one another. And I said, wow, a lot of people standing around talking, doing nothing here. If I was the owner, uh, I'd be kind of pissed off right now because, you know, they're standing around not doing anything when there's tables that need to be bust. And so it happened that the table uh, directly in front of us was one of the ones that needed to be bust. And we were sitting there talking and I mentioned, I said, man, those people are still sitting there not doing anything. And Kim goes, well, have they, uh, have they bust the table uh, right behind me? And I go, not that I know of. And eh, I want to say there five or 10 minutes goes by. And then finally the table was bust. Guess who bust the table, Barry? Mrs. Bowdrin. No, the manager, the manager of the place. There you go. Yes. While his young uh, staff who appeared to be uh, in their, late teens to early 20s sure. there was there was one woman who was handling the phone you know orders and stuff like that who was a little bit older but he had a predominantly younger staff the kid that actually was our server was very attentive did a nice job but the other staff i'm sitting there thinking as a if you were the since you were a server and manager barry if you're the manager you got five tables waiting to be bust now i will say it's not like there was a line of people waiting to be seated 
but you got five tables that are unavailable if somebody does come in because they haven't been bussed yet. What do you, as the manager, what is your job? What are you doing? Well, you, you already know the answer to that, Jeff. So <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm setting you up with a softball. There. Exactly. There was no, that's low hanging fruit. There's no reason for me to even answer that. But what I'm thinking is occurring currently is that managers are afraid to hold their staff accountable for their positions because they, they don't want to be left short staffed. And it's almost like I'll take a shitty employee over no employee currently. I have, I've seen exact, look, I went into a restaurant with my kids two nights ago and I'll, it was a smash burger and God bless the manager. He was in the expo line, pulling the food out. The place was packed but there were dirty tables. There were employees on their phones in the restaurant, looking at their phones and talking to each other and standing, leaning, not even standing, trying to do something, leaning like they were about to fall over. And there was probably four to five dirty tables as well. We had to bus our own table. So this guy bust oh his own. This is a, this is an issue. And it, it's almost like a lot of it is flipped. And it, you know, again, Every restaurant seems to have some sort of sign, please be nice to the staff. I, I think there is a, a change that is occurring where you've got unqualified, unmotivated staff who feel predicted, who pre protected, not predicted, but protected based off of the way that the labor shortage is currently happening with restaurants and businesses. And, and, and we're suffering. At the end of the day, we're suffering. Uh, management is suffering. God, thank God. I am not a restaurant manager right no, now. And, and, you know, I think it's fair because you have places where, let's just say, I don't want to politicize this, but I think the last two years, uh, you have a segment. Uh, I don't even want to say a segment because it's not just one particular group. You have uh, a percentage of our country, young, old, whatever, that have gotten real comfortable with not working. And, you know, like, you know, they, they feel like uh, they've been able to sit on their couch uh, for, to, or they get into, you know, like working at a job uh, where they're online. And, you know, it's really funny. You remember that movie that came out? Uh, God, I don't know why I just thought of this. It was with Sandra Bullock, where she's the, this is like mid nineties. The blind spot. Uh, no, the, uh, the one where she's the computer programmer. The net. The net, yes. And the net was all about this woman. And mind you, this is almost 30 years ago now, about a woman whose job was online, who almost never went out of her house. She ordered food into her house. So her neighbors didn't know who she was because that's how active she was on the internet. And that, you know, all these years later, uh, later that's what's happened is now you have all these people that have gotten so used to, if they work, they work online. Uh, you know, now they got to go out and do some hustling, do some job, actual job and do some actual work. And it's like, eh, what do I want to fucking do that? And, you know, it's really affecting negatively a lot of industries, but in particular, the restaurant industry, Barry. Yeah. And it's sad. It look, it, it is sad. And you've got a feeling years ago. And I share this story with you because this made a huge impact on me at the time. I want to say I was 30, maybe 31, but I was, I was young. I certainly, I was, I might've been 30 or 31, but I was still 14 years old at that point. Right. So I was living in Orlando 
and we went to a restaurant, Sam Sneed's Tavern. Remember these restaurants? Legendary golfer Sam Sneed. Yeah, legendary golfer Sam Sneed. They had a bunch of taverns. They were nice. They were these rustic taverns with burgers and meatloaf, very American-style dishes. I liked the ambiance. The food was always very good. But I was I was in there with the ex, and we were at a table. And this would have been 96, so maybe I was 32 at the time. And, uh, you know, hard to believe that it's uh, 96, what is that, like 28 years ago, 26 years ago? I don't still remember. I, I don't know. I, I don't have this many fingers to be able to figure that out. But we're at a table and I was managing a restaurant at the time. I was not a server. I was managing. And did you I hear that? Watched, Barry? Did you hear that? Well, what was it? Uh, well, as you said that there are people now on their scorecard for breaking KV by Vitamin Barry checking off every time. Uh, I was not a, a server. I was a manager. And <laughs> check. Who's winning? Who's who's in the lead on this one? I know who it is, too. If it isn't you, it's Spiker. <laughs> so in any case, we're at a table. Our food has been delivered. And I'm watching the staff. And I'm going to say the staff was probably early 20s. And they're all congregating with each other, standing around, talking. Nobody's doing anything work-related. I could overhear. It's about the weekend, et cetera. And I watched the manager deliver the food on a tray. So let me paint this picture for you. You've got a manager who at the time appears to be in his mid fifties. He's overweight. He's sweating. His his clothes are too small for him. He walks with a pronounced limp and he's carrying a tray of food to a table as young servers in their twenties and appear to be very healthy are standing around looking at him. And I said that, and this to this day, this stays with me. I said to the ex, I said, that's really fucking sad to see. Look at this guy. And I, I said, that will never be me. And, and that was one of the, the impetus, I think, for getting out of the restaurant. I've been out over 10 years at this point. But one of the big goals was I knew my day was coming. I, my last Mother's Day was my last Mother's Day. I worked something like 16 hours. I got out of bed the day after Mother's Day at 5 a.m. because I had to be at work really early, Jeff, to do the P&L and do inventory. And I stood up. P&L, Bear? Profit and loss, gotcha. which tells you, are you is your restaurant making or losing money? And if you're getting fucked, there are certain segments where you may be fucked on. So, uh, But Mondays, you always had to do inventory and you always had to do your P&L for the week. So I got out of bed after working, you know, a 14, 15, 16 hour day with a one hour commute each way. And I stood up at 5 a.m. and I knew my day was over. My body was beat up. I, I was my back hurt. My legs were hurting. I was I wasn't just tired. I was like next level. I shouldn't get behind the wheel of a car tired. And I knew that my day had come and immediately I thought of this guy from San Sneed's Tavern again. I was like, do you want to become this guy or do you want to do something else? Luckily, I was able to transition into another field that kept me very connected with restaurants. But at the same time, I didn't have to do the day-to-day operations. And happy to report, I uh, I don't limp terribly, I just a little bit. But uh, I, I'm not envious. You know, the restaurant business Uh, And we can certainly wrap this up, but the restaurant business is a young man's game. And when you do see older people trying to do such a physical, physical position, 
it doesn't really quite work out. And there are exceptions to that. I've seen, you know, I've worked with a guy who was older than I was and was in better shape and was able to get out there and make it happen. But for the majority, 10, 12, 14 hour days at a high pace just doesn't suit somebody in their 50s or older. You know, it's funny. Uh, and by the way, I just made a note. This is the Sam Sneed episode because it's our first uh, ever reference to the legendary PGA like golfer it. Sam Sneed. But, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, the restaurant business being a young man's game. I was talking to my wife the other day and I referenced my years as a Toys R Us manager. And I said, you know, I said, I looked around and th- I mean, this is like when I was like 24, I, I was a-, a retail manager. Okay. And the Christmas season for retail management, I'm talking to you, uh, Zaha, uh, in the toy industry, especially or toy retail business is brutal. I literally worked shifts where I would start, uh, you know, and this is between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I would work 7 a.m. like on a Saturday and we'd get out of there sometimes two, maybe three o'clock in the morning. I mean, where you're you're working like an 18 hour day. And if you're lucky, you got the next day off and it, it is a, an industry at the time that would put people in the, gr- in the grave. You imagine why cocaine was popular back in the mid eighties, uh, Barry. But, um, so I looked around at the staff that we had in South Florida at Toys R Us. And this is when they had opened the market. Okay. They, they built like six Toys R Us stores and you have to remember in the Toys R Us was incredibly, incredibly popular at this point. Oh yeah. And uh, this was like uh, Cabbage Patch uh, Kids, that kind of shit when that was exploding. So they opened the market, and the guy that was the market director, like, I mean, like the big fucking kahuna, was a guy that was like in his eh, maybe early to mid 40s. Okay. He had been with the company for like 20 plus years, and he was, uh, he was getting ready to retire like in, in the next year or two. And he was retiring with, uh, stock options and, you know, all this kind of, you know, uh, bonuses for his market, uh, being successful and stuff like that. And so, uh, if you can, if you can do that, great, but the rest of the market, every store in the management had at least three divorces. Okay. Because retail management, I don't know about restaurant management, Barry, not good for a a successful marriage because besides, (laughs) besides the long hours, you have, Ooh, Barry, the temptations that are out there for you. Uh, you're working with these people uh, that you see more than you see your family, okay? And it, it was just, it, it wasn't good. And so you sit there and you think, this guy that's in his mid-40s that's gonna retire with all these stock options and profit sharing and all this kind of stuff, is he gonna live to 50? Because this, this fucker was putting in a lot of time probably early in his day. And you know, Toys R Us, for those people that don't know, began, and uh, and Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, Barry, do you know is Paramus in Philadelphia, New Jersey, or New York, New Jersey? Is Paramus in Philadelphia, New yeah, Jersey? Yeah, is it like closer to New- Philly or is it closer to New York? That's oh, okay. What I, I had no idea what the fuck you meant. <laughs> you said that. I was sitting here going, I think Jeff's having a stroke. No, I, like Hoboken yeah. is in New York, New Jersey. Paramus it's close is, to New York. Paramus is close to New York. Yes. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. so you know, this guy came out of the Paramus market <laughs> that was very successful. And so, you know, he was going to walk away if he didn't drop dead in two years with a nice bit of coin. Okay. Wife probably is going to divorce him, Uh, you know, but all these other guys, not just the store managers, the area supervisors that may have two or three stores that they were responsible for. All those fuckers were cheating on their wives too. all the guys. Let me tell you something. 
you talk about uh, the uh, the areas of the country where there's like, you know, we joke. Uh, I visited a friend of mine uh, this past weekend that lives in the villages, right? You know about the villages in Florida. Oh, right? I know about the villages. Okay, so yeah. the, tell the good folks a, a large retirement community. Besides the vast disparity, politically speaking, and some of the people that live there, tell the folks what the villages is known for, Barry. Well, there's uh, actually one particular thing, especially STD. Uh, yes, STD? it is the yeah. STD capital of this country That's because right. those old people they go there, they get on Viagra, and they screw like bunnies, and then they catch STDs. So, you know, but, uh, and that's the way it was at Toys R Us. Everybody was fucking everybody. Had STDs? And, no, not with STDs. It just made oh, me okay. think about fucking. Right. So, uh, but they're all going around screwing one another and all the managers are screwing the employees, uh, which by the way, there was a policy that you do not fraternize with the employees after hours. But of course, you know, all the guys everybody. are out there fraternizing with employees because, exactly. you know, yeah, they go home and they got to go to sleep for four hours and get up and leave their wife. Thanks, honey, for the coffee. I got to go back to work. And uh, by the way, uh, you know, Barbie there in aisle 12, I'm I'm bopping her after work. So uh, anyway, how did I get off on that fucking tangent? I'm sure. I don't know, but there. I love it. So with <laughs> that, uh, yeah, so I, uh, as both a manager and a server, I check it, especially in restaurants too, Jeff, which because I mean, Toys R Us, there was probably some amount of civility to it in restaurants. Not really? No. OK, <laughs> especially in the 90s restaurants were like the last bastion of pure chaos. It was, it, there was, you know, sex taking place in within the four walls, drug use out, whatever it was, sexual harassment was taking place and anything that now could never take place within a business was completely taking place within restaurants. This was the norm of how things were going. So it, it's crazy. Paramus too. If I'm correct, there's there's a connection. Ah, oh, shit. And I, I don't I, I was going to say W.O.R.T.V. And then I thought, wait, that's actually Secaucus. Maybe Crazy Eddie was was head. His prices are insane. Insane. That guy was fucking genius. I'm the king and it's good to be the king. Remember that? sign? <laughs> That was great. But I, I want to say there is a connection to Paramus in some form, and I'm sure Sweet Lou can come up with it. But I got to say, too, and then certainly we can we can move on. God bless anybody who's in a management position, especially a middle management position in this country, which was what I was for so many years. Uh, it's brutal. It is. At, there is no way to win. You just have to go in and make your money. But, oh, I, you know what? Deepest respect for somebody who's trying to earn a living in a middle management position. Barry, it's always fun when we have another edition of Florida Man or Not. We've done a few of these recently, Barry. You know what we haven't done recently, Barry? We haven't done the F. Mary or <clears throat> Kick to the Curb lately. We're going to have to invest in one of those uh, storylines pretty soon here. So are you ready, Barry, for another episode of Florida Man or Not? Barry, this is a change because this would be Florida woman or oh. not. The headline reads, woman arrested for attacking father over his constant farting. Sure. <clears throat> woman was arrested for attacking her father for farting too much. Nicole Dazios, 40, lives with her 59-year-old father who apparently has a bit of a gas problem. It's about 2 a.m. on Sunday, August 23rd, when things came to a head with Dazios physically attacking her father over the noxious fumes emanating from his backside. Dazio's punched her dad, quote, numerous times in the face, 
Nice. All that win meant that Dazio's, quote, became angry, unquote, and launched her attack on her dad, with whom she sh- with whom she shares a bedroom. That's a tad on the creepy side. <laughs> I gotta be honest. Well, it says it says for some reason. <laughs> when police reported to the house, they found the father had sustained quote a bloody left eye and scratches all over his neck as a result of Dazios's attack. She was arrested for domestic battery and taken to the county jail. She was charged with a misdemeanor but pled not guilty. Not long after that, she was released without bail. Further action is pending. No further court date has been set. Barry, Florida woman or not. So a a couple of questions with this one. Uh, This sounds as about dysfunctional as you could get for a family. Open farting, living in the same bedroom. Yeah, there's uh, some stuff going on here, Barry. What, What is her age again? She is 40. So she's 40. Hypothetically, we'll say dad is 65 to 59. It says the dad is 59. So dad was 19 when he had her. Okay. So he's a very young dad. They're living. So the living in the same bedroom for a father and a daughter, 40 and 59, to me is what's unusual. Not the farting. Well, (laughs) (laughs) the farting, not as much, but living in the same bedroom is just very, I don't think it, it's odd because it, it it doesn't say studio. Like, why not? Why doesn't somebody live in the living room at a pullout couch? Yet you're putting a father and a daughter in the same bed. They're, and they're they're obviously she's obviously probably not the first time she's ever hit him, right? I mean, we're gonna have to assume it's not the first time over farting. This is a this story begs a follow up. We need to know more details with this. I'm going to say this is not Florida. I'm going to say this is, I'm even going to pick out the state. I'm going off of her last name. Of course, I could be way off. I'm going to say it's in New Jersey somewhere. Largo! Don't! By the way, I want to thank Jason Gross for actually sending me this uh, story as opposed to posting it in our group. Uh Uh, for some of you out there. So, Jason, thank you so much for sending this along. Barry, continuing on the storyline, the open farting, is that something that Barry Rose does? Uh, With my daughter? Uh, With anybody. Uh, Are you more the SPD or uh, excusing yourself or pulling the pillow uh, close to you uh, so that uh, the the noise factor is lessened? No, I will. uh, So it it, it does depend who I'm with, first off, depending. (laughs) Yeah, that's very subjective. With any new possibilities that are going on in your life? Then I can tell you exactly that it is a silent, but excuse me, I'll leave the room kind of deal. But I can tell you if I am with the young Zoe, I will rip one out if I have to, just to see her smile, which she will do if I. Uh, well, you know, what is it uh, when you're with a uh, a beloved uh, member? I don't mean your daughter here, with a, perhaps uh, someone you're having a intimate uh, relationship. Arnold relations. Where, where you pull the blanket over, you let one. What's that called, Barry? Do you know, Dutch oven. Dutch oven. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, uh, were you ever a fan of giving the old Dutch oven to the former Mrs. Rose? I was also really? another reason that will explain <laughs> why I am well, no longer just, married. Uh, as we talked about recently uh, <laughs> on our Patreon episode, Barry, yes. we used this expression, the onion is being peeled back to reveal further layers of the dysfunction in the Rose house. Oh my God. So I look, I, uh, it's, and I got to say, I, I think I've pulled back using your term. I've pulled back on the, the so obvious flatulence. 
But young Zachary is, I would say he's the king of farting. And Zach, and I'm sure Zach would appreciate me sharing this with the world. <laughs> also, Zach, you know, I look, I don't know what to tell you, but this is what this is part of the territory. Zach will, especially in the car, windows are rolled up. Zach will be in the passenger seat and he'll let one go. And we're talking, these are like two minute rippers. Joe Christie level. Oh, next level, Joe Christie. These are, these are the length, the, the, First off, the sound, the the volume, uh, the length of the fart, and then, of course, the odor that hits you right after. But when Zach is done farting, he will look at you with this evil grin. It's, it's the greatest thing ever because he's so – it's a combination of what are you going to do because we're driving and I just got you. That's exactly what the look is. I, I want to say I'm an amateur compared to his professional status of public flatulations. But Jeff, on that note, I have a story for you. No, no, uh, well, please. Oh, yeah, ahead. absolutely. We have a, a Florida man or not. This was sent. How to did me. you find this story, Barry? Well, this was sent to me some three months back by. We are my, nothing if not timely. Oh, we're timely. We're, we're, look, we're getting it in within a year. That's timely. This, this came from our old friend, Mark Hurtweck, a son break- of a bitch. <laughs> a breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry original. Uh, but Mark sending me this story saying, maybe you guys can use this one. So Jeff, I give to you my first time in a while. A man said United airlines kicked him off a flight Wednesday morning after he tried to test a federal mask mandate by wearing a pair of women's underwear on his face. Now, At- let me just say, Barry, sure. Before this goes any further, we're not going to get into the whole politica, uh, politicization, uh, whatever that word is, uh, of the whole mask mandate. We are strictly commenting on this story for its humorous qualities. 100% this is Thank not you. about whether you agree or disagree. It's a fact that somebody tried to test it by putting on women's undergarments <laughs> over his face. Now, is Jeff, it mentioned in the story, Barry, sure. whether or not these undergarments were in fresh? new and uh, <clears throat> fresh or were they of the used variety uh, so i'm going to dun dun, dun 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 i'm perusing this article i don't see uh anything here that says so this also begs the question let, along with your question jeff of whether these are missy hyatt used panties oh my as if we all remember Missy Hyatt, by the way, completely going off topic, but as we are want to do, we do this all the time, but we did talk about where Missy Hyatt was selling her undergarments at a fan fest this past summer. Did you see yesterday that somebody posted Missy Hyatt was married to Eddie Mansfield when she was either 19 or 20, but she never discusses this publicly. They actually had the wedding announcement from the newspaper along with a matching photo. I did not see this story. And since in fact, Mr. Mansfield, uh, contrary to popular belief is not dead. Uh, although some apparently wished him to be, uh, after something happened, maybe we can get Eddie Mansfield on to discuss his marriage, albeit however, briefly to the lovely Missy Hyatt. So apparently, yeah. And, uh, and there are a lot of Eddie Mansfield still alive, but some of the stories that I heard that day 
and I think I, I told you about these off air. I probably won't say them so I don't get sued, but it's a hell of a story. And Eddie Mansfield may have been responsible for this whole thing. But with that, apparently it was 1983. So this was long before Missy was in the public eye for professional wrestling. She, uh, Eddie, I think had been working uh, Georgia or Texas. He was in Florida about a year earlier. I don't know where he was, but he I want to say he was in the last his last run in Florida was like 81. Am I correct? 81. I think that I think you're right. 81 into maybe 82, but it was 81 for sure. He was Florida TV champion. Eddie looking the same in this photo. Missy very young. And I think the age stated 19 or 20. But they were actually a photo of them together cutting the wedding cake. Interesting because. Missy has never spoken about this that I'm aware. And in Missy's autobiography, there's no mention whatsoever of Eddie Mansfield. So really interesting. Uh, I will reach out to Eddie Mansfield, see if he's interested. I do believe the response is going to be, sure, I'd love to come on your podcast. How much are you paying? (laughs) So (laughs) that's anyway, getting back to the panty story, which I believe is the first time we've ever used the term getting back to the panty story on this fine podcast. But it won't be the last, Jeff. I'm sure. Absolutely. So Jenny, uh, Jenny, Adam, Jenny uh, apparently opposes the federal regulation requiring travelers to wear masks in airports and on airplanes to limit the spread of COVID. Jenny made clear he was trying to follow a rule he considers to be silly in a silly way. He also says it wasn't the first time he's tried this stunt. He claims he was also asked to leave a Delta Airlines flight earlier this year for attempting to wear underwear as a mask. So he's a bit of a uh, pain in the ass. He's, he's a rebel. He's a, he's rebel. a rebel. He strikes like me as one of these. Yeah, but again, he could be delaying flights. You know, if you're one of 100 people on a flight and you've got some asshole that's wearing and, and he won't he won't put on a mask, whatever, and your flight's delayed by four hours, you want to take this guy out on the tarmac and beat his ass, right? So it's cute until everybody else is, uh, you know, put it some sort of, uh, you know, issue with this. But in any case, Jeff, the flight, I, I actually am not even going to tell you where the flights were going. Uh, I will, uh, you know what, I will tell you. So, again, the flight was going from Fort Lauderdale to Washington, D.C. However, of course, it's Fort Lauderdale. Of course. <laughs> is, but, <laughs> but is Adam Jenny a Floridian or not? I'm going to say. Based on Fort Lauderdale, it's uh, a mecca of tourism. Yes. It's also a mecca of people that used to work in the court system, but don't anymore. I will say not Florida. So it is Florida, Jeff. No, son of a bitch. But here's the the guy too. Yes, and you should be. He's a Cape Coral guy. Meaning Cape Coral is right near uh, Fort Myers. Captain oh, I Annabelle. know where Cape Coral is. And I know the people that we have in our group that are from the southwest of uh, Florida. They think they're so big. Anyway. You're Mark Russ is who you're talking about. No, right? I'm talking about Ben and Kelly. They think they're so big. But anyway. They do. They're from, they're from uh, Port Charlotte. So Cape Coral, which then begs the question, did he take over Alligator Alley? to get to the airport, because I believe you can take Alligator Alley and go yes, right to can. the airport. Uh, right? Was he yeah. wearing the woman's panties across his face as he crossed the alley? Right. That's another interesting question. Do not molest the alligators. You remember that sign? That's true. Yeah. So the headline reads, 
Man arrested with live alligator in his car. Officers responded to reports of a potential drunk driver only to find a live alligator inside the vehicle next to the driver. While people know to watch out for alligators near swamps and lakes, but cars are a different story. Police officers arrested a man who was found with a live alligator in his car while the suspect was uh, was arrested due to having an open warrant. He will reportedly face additional charges related to the alligator. Now, Barry, let me just stop right here and say, at this point, this is a pretty good story, right? Oh, it's a great story. Okay, but as Paul Harvey would say, now, now, Barry, we get to the rest of the story. Okay. A DUI evaluation was conducted, and the defendant was found to not be impaired. He was arrested on his warrants. Once he was under arrest, he advised officers he had a live alligator on the floorboard of his vehicle. Officers looked into the vehicle. This is the part where it gets good. When asked about the gator, police officers say that the uh, individual told them it belonged to a friend of his. Oh, okay. He said his friend had apparently been arrested a week before, so he was taking care of it for him in the meantime. Oh, because, of course, let's let's keep the gator in the car. Or how would you like to go out for a, a ride in the car, buddy? Barry, Florida or not? So many questions have to be asked about this, too. <laughs> how, so how big was the gator? Does, does it say the size of the gator? Uh, I have a, uh, a photograph of the uh, aforementioned, uh, is it an amphibian uh, of the animal? I will say it is not a full grown. We're not talking uh, Elvis from Miami Vice. Wow, that's a really dated reference. You know, it's not, good- it's not one of your 10 footers. It's a, a relatively small gator. All right, so it's a baby gator. So conventional wisdom, look, Florida is like the gator capital of the U.S., if not the world. So conventional wisdom is going to say, of course, this took place in Florida. With that knowledge in hand, Jeffrey, I think you're trying to pull a fast one. I think you're trying to deceive, chicanery, trick me. I'm going to say it's not Florida, even though absolutely this should be Florida, but it's not. I will say that while Florida is, in fact, uh, if not the capital of uh, gators, it's maybe one of them. Louisiana has sure. been known to have a few gators, my friend. Sure, that's true. But, however, you are correct. Anderson, California, Barry. What? Do you know Anderson, California, where that is, perhaps? I have no idea, but I, if I'm correct, there's no, per se, there's no wild gators out in California, though, is uh, there? A, yeah, again. Uh, Perhaps Lou could do some quick research. Tell us where Anderson, California is. And Louis, unless you know right off the top of your head. I'm guessing it is not. Barry, next we've got, I've got a couple really good headlines for you. This is the next one. Woman rode motorbike naked, got fingered in the street, and punched a blind man. <laughs> that is Wait what a minute. you call a fucking headline right there. Now, so where, <laughs> where did this come from, this article? <laughs> oh, uh, let me see. It is Metro News. Very generic. Got fingered in the street. Yeah, now, yeah. Like that, I said, there's not just one thing happening. Not just two right. things. There's three things happening in this article. Is that So when you say got fingered in the well, street. In the literal sense, or uh, we are talking in the sexually stimulated sense. Wow. Yes. Right. Please continue. <laughs> this okay. Yes. A, a woman has been jailed and banned from entering. Uh, I don't know if that's a city or a, uh, to be honest with you, because I don't recognize the name of the city. After she punched a blind man, it was caught in the middle of a sex act in the street. <laughs> Natasha Claus. I don't know if she's related to Santa. 
was described, quote, as a mess by a judge after she turned up in court four hours late. That's always good, you know, when you're getting ready to, you know, deal with a court case to show up four hours late, uh, to be handed down a 13-month prison sentence. The judge revealed she had also been caught riding through a town naked on a motorbike, but added that she was not being sentenced for that particular incident. She pled guilty to outraging public decency after she was caught in the middle of a sex act that the judge said, quote, was no doubt for money. Prosecutors say she was spotted being fingered by a man on July 29th. <laughs> a mother with two children asked her to stop. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's not, uh, you know uh, hey, I got my kids here with me. Can you please stop getting fingered? Stop getting fingered. <laughs> The That's woman all. then responded uh, by threatening to punch her. Apparently, she was enjoying <laughs> herself. You know, hey, sister, I'm over here having a good time. I'm getting my uh, my oats on here, and uh, just take your damn kids and leave. Uh, she was arrested uh -huh. on the scene. Uh, police said uh, her uh, her jeans were pulled up, uh, but that, uh, well, other uh, various uh, parts of her undergarments were in her handbag. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, she said she had a habit of befriending vulnerable men and then taking advantage of them. Uh, let's see. Uh, Trouble flared where one of those men was threatened with being uh, kicked out of his apartment. Uh, let's see, they argued, and Klaus attacked him. Because he was registered blind, he couldn't tell if it was by her palm or fist. Barry, there are so many levels to this story. Uh, she assaulted two police officers uh, during the arrest, calling one of them, uh, let's just say, uh, for the benefit of our lady listeners, the P word and the C word. I know, Barry, the C word. The women don't like having that word uttered. So, Barry, Florida woman or not? She, she was getting fingered in the sea. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, man. This is a great story. This was, is the, uh, that, that, that word was, uh, if, for those of you who have not yet subscribed, was uh, the subject, the C word was a subject <laughs> of one of our Patreon episodes, Barry. It was. Boy, this is a, uh, we, first off, this Oh, is, and by the way, can I just say? I've got another story that has an even better headline, which is hard to believe, but it does. Go ahead, Barry. Florida. Uh, not. I, I mean, again, certainly could have been women getting fingered in the streets by blind guys or whatever the fuck that Barry, was. Have you ever fingered a woman <laughs> in the street? I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and I'm assuming I probably have, but I think, I think I've, uh, I'm sure at some point, say, uh, perhaps yeah. in a car somewhere, right. but yeah. never actually in the street. I think at our age too, who the hell remembers shit from 40, 45 years ago? But I, I think so. I there was this one memorable incident out in front of Dan Dowd's. Dan uh, Dowd. That's a reference Barry's going to understand, but oh, yeah, probably nobody yeah. else. Like Bobby Rubino's, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, I, now, they now closing for the, oh, Bobby Rubino's closing down. Legendary restaurant in uh, South Florida. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like Tony Roma's. Yes. I, they're, yeah. they're probably gone. So I'm going to say, again, I, I this story 100% has got Florida woman written all over it. However, I asked you the source. And the reason I asked, actually, I, I'm happy with the answer, and I'll explain why, was I was trying to see if this was a headline from, like, the Inquirer. I mean, the word fingered is not something normally, like, the New York Times uses. Uh, <laughs> so that's... That's really what I was Every looking journal, for. That. The, the subject was being fingered. Exactly. And if you ever notice, if you ever read the New York Times, they refer to everybody as either Mr., Mrs., or Miss. 
So it would have read Miss whatever was getting fingered, which just seems so bizarre as opposed to just saying the last name. But you did say, if I'm correct, that this was the son. No, uh, I said Metro? it was the Metro, Metro that, News. Okay, but it was something British, which led me to believe this took place in England or somewhere in the UK. That's what I'm going to go with based off of that info. I don't recall saying something British. I mean, the, the answer it, isn't. It, what you said was the Metro, which is a British paper. That's why I said it. Oh, if I said that, I don't know. No, I said it was a generic paper. Like the name of the paper was very generic. Like, However. You did say either Metro or Sun. You did say a British paper. Which well, is it took place in Surrey, UK, uh, the United Kingdom. So just to a uh, little postscript to this little story, she was apparently jailed. Uh, different amounts for the different charges. Three months for the assault on the blind man. Two months for each attack on a police officer. Two months for being racist to one of the officers. One month for outraging public decency. And another month for abusing the woman who had asked her to stop the this, this sex act. She was also jailed for four months for breaching a suspended jail sentence. Barry, there's a lot going on in that story. What a wonderful story. That's that's the kind of story we look for in these, uh, yeah, so fantastic. Now we get to an even better headline, Barry. <clears throat> Pantsless driver dies <laughs> after being ejected through his sunroof while masturbating to porn on a cell phone when the car crashed and rolled over. Again, Barry, there's a lot wow. going on here. Yeah, so let say that again. Okay. <clears throat> While I will say it's not a New York Post article, this has every, okay. you know, <laughs> it's like the front page of the New York Post. Sure. Pantsless driver dies after being ejected through his sunroof. Okay, so we got a guy with no pants getting thrown through the sunroof. However, oh. to add to it, it's while he was masturbating to porn on a cell phone. Barry, you ever masturbated to porn on your cell phone? In a Are car? You, you know, well, yeah. Are you decent enough to do it in the comfort of your own home? Uh, he's watching it on his cell phone. When the car crashed and rolled over, he so was so involved in what driving. he was watching. He's you know. driving as he's jerking off. Uh, let's get to the article here. Man was killed and he was ejected uh, through what the sunroof. Yeah. Killed instantly when his car rolled over in the early morning hours of a Sunday, as well as not wearing any pants. It is believed to have not been wearing, well, he wasn't wearing his seatbelt, you know. Well, if you're going to, you know, jerk the old gherkin here, the last thing you want to, you know, hamper your, uh, you're getting your, uh, your stuff done there is uh, have your seatbelt in the way. So, so he's doing this. Okay. Uh, let's see. He gets ejected from the car. Let me find the uh, rest of the article here. Uh, let's see. It is believed that he lost control of the car because he was distracted and unable to prevent the 1996 Toyota from spinning because he did not have both hands firmly on the steering wheel. Go figure, Barry. Wow. Uh, let's see if there's anything more. Uh, the incident, uh, the police said the incident was among the strangest they've ever encountered during their careers. We see people putting on makeup, they said. We see people doing different things as far as hygiene, as far as reading books. Reading books while you're driving, by the way, is always a good idea, folks. It's almost to the fact that there's so much technology out there that a lot of people are paying more attention to what they're doing other than driving their cars. Very Florida man or not. 
I'm going to say that is Florida man. And again, a great headline, but I'll say that's Florida man based off of the other two not being. This one took place in Florida. Detroit, Michigan. Wow. So let me ask you, was this a better headline or was the woman getting fingered in the street a better headline, Barry? I think a good fingering in the street is going to be a better headline. But that this is a good one, though. They, they both are fantastic. Very always good to talk a little Florida man or not. Now we're rounding the turn, heading for home, hoping to cross the finish line in good health. Barry, a couple things I want to bring up to you. Barry, I'm now almost done with season three of Goliath. Well, Mrs. Baldrin, the original sainted Mrs. Baldrin, <laughs> and my sister Reen, as I wrote you over the weekend, I've now got them hooked on Goliath. Yeah, and uh, I was in contact with your sister this morning, and she is not loving season two yet, though it does sound season three, I think from a story perspective, I think season two is better than three. I do think the best seasons were one and four. There were some surprises in two. There's definitely massive surprises in three and four, but I love Goliath. You know, that's one thing about when you binge watch a show there is this postpartum depression that goes when the show is complete because you know it's done. I will say with Goliath, my favorite character, Papagian. Oh, yeah. She's, so Lise Papagian she is a, a riot. gemstone right there. She yeah. is, and she is great to the very end, Jeff. And even in season four, she steals it. There were some things about Goliath that I don't love. But overall, I love the show. I'm grateful I stumbled into it. I just know that we'll never see another episode again, sadly. Well, I was actually going to ask you whether there was a chance they would go past season four, but apparently not. Uh, I also like uh, Patty Solis Papagian. Uh, is it that what it was, Papagian? Yes. Okay. Papagian. <laughs> uh, yes, Papagian. And, yes. Uh, and how everyone mispronounced her name throughout the entire show. Uh, I'm a little disappointed here in season three. We haven't seen a lot of Marva who's one of my uh, my favorite characters, his, uh, his secretary. Yeah, it's uh, season two. My, my sister texted me last night and goes, we had to stop watching because this season is so violent. Like some of the deaths are extremely grisly, oh, yeah. uh, involving a, a guy who's a surgeon known to remove various body parts. Season three, I think we could call the peyote season because there is uh, some uh, hallucinogens that are introduced uh, that are not uh, basically... A certain character doesn't figure out that a hallucinogens have been a part of the equation uh, until about mm, episode five or six. Would that be fair to say, Barry? I think so. Yeah. 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 And uh, there uh, we have just gotten to the point again. I'm not going to spoil anything where uh, Billy Bob Thornton is looking at a uh, official document and he sees the signature and a name of someone that he knows. Do you know where I'm at now, Bear? I do. OK, so, uh, yeah, we've got a little bit more Mrs. Baldrin. A little bit frustrated so far with some of the confusing aspects of season three, but I said, Barry swears it's all going to tie together. So I'm dependent on you, my man. So it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else did I want to mention? Oh, Barry, I, this is on our trip. Uh, this is going into the Wayback Machine. Okay, Barry. Barry, you remember when CB radios were big? Sure do. Breaker, breaker. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't think I've ever asked you this question, uh, good buddy. Uh, <laughs> did you ever have the occasion, uh, if not to own a CB, to ever talk on a CB? I did. So I, when I was a kid, it was really popular when we were kids. And we should say this is probably even going to date most of our listeners. But 
CB radios. Boy, is that the truth? <laughs> well, it's sadly right. CB radios. There was a period there of a couple of years. This was the biggest fucking thing possible if you were a kid, and this was a trucker thing. But there were movies made, Convoy, which was really well, all Smokey about and the Bandits. A lot yeah, of it had to all do about with, CB know. radios and yeah. shit. Yeah, I, I never owned my own CB radio, though I wanted one. My parents would not let me get one. But I, I did talk on friend CB radios. Yes. Yeah. So uh, and there's a reason I'm telling this because it's going to be kind of an amusing story. So as we're driving and I'm looking, you know, we're, we're passing the big rigs and stuff like that. And we started talking about CBs and uh, just a very quick refresher for the younger listeners here. Uh, CB radios it primarily was something that started with truckers. They were like, I don't know, like uh, maybe 50 channels and you would go on channels uh, and say uh, breaker one nine. And that was like the big trucker channel. And uh, I think originally truckers used it, uh, you know, of course, this is before any kind of social media or any kind yeah. of GPS. And it was like, uh, yeah, well, is the road clear for the next five miles outside of Santa Monica? And, you know, it'd be like, well, and the, the three mile mark, there's a couple of cops out there doing radar detecting. And that's like what that's how people, you know, exchanged information like that. Or there's a hellacious uh, accident five miles ahead. You're going to want to get off on exit four and avoid this area. You know, that kind of shit. And then, of course, you started getting, especially after smoking the Bandit and Convoy and all that kind of stuff, the song Convoy, you started getting all these other channels filled up with people that were just using it as a way to socialize, you know, like, uh, and dare I say, I'm sure there were people that were using it as a way to hook up. So I was talking to Kim about it, and she's, you know, and I said, oh, I said, uh, did you ever have a CB? And she goes, no. She goes, my dad loved CBs, and he had one, and he would use it to, you know, chit-chat and stuff like that. So her dad's name, of course, was Hank. And oh. Hank's CB, so you had to have a CB handle, okay? You had to give yourself a name, you know? Uh, and uh, so, you know, like, uh, if we were doing one today, maybe Barry's be uh, Lord Barron's, okay? Uh, maybe mine would be the the Booker or something like that. You come up with some cute little witty nickname. So Hank, who is a, a large man, uh, you know, like uh, 350 plus, he comes up with this CB uh, nickname handle for himself, Barry. The Big H, okay? Well. After a few weeks of using the CB with the handle of the big H, Hank decided he needed to change his handle. Why, Barry? The big H, hemorrhoids. No, he was getting oh. messages from people wanting to know if he had heroin to sell. Ah, <laughs> all right. Which I thought was pretty freaking hilarious. Wow. So, uh, as we uh, wrap up, I will remind you that Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. On behalf of our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, uh, or what was the, what was the, uh, the, the, the uh, not Southern Lou Kippelman. What was the other one, Barry? Uh, Southern, uh, subtle, subtle, subtle Lou Kippelman. That's this weekend's name for Lou Kippelman. Uh, and my, uh, my co-host Barry Rose, I will tell you that I am Jeff Baldron. Uh, as I said, sometimes I call me the booker last thing, Barry, not to end this. Actually, it is kind of a good note. Actually, my wife reminded me that, uh, it was two years ago, uh, yesterday oh. that I was, uh, I was diagnosed. And, uh, wow. I know that we've had other members of our group that have struggled, uh, you know, maybe people that are still struggling with, uh, with a diagnosis that, uh, that nobody wants to get. And, uh, it humbles you like you cannot even imagine. And, uh, I am thankful every single day that I got past this. I'm thankful that I had a family that was so supportive of me and, uh, helped me out, took care of me, whether it was giving me a ride to the doctor whether it was, 
I mean, I'm going to tell you, Barry, clean up after me when, you know, I would, I would throw up or something worse, you know, and, uh, you need to have people in your corner. I was very fortunate. I not only had my family in my corner, I had great doctors, Dr. Steven Zabo, my oncologist, Dr. Kira Colbert, my internist who originally diagnosed me. Uh, and I'm so thankful and appreciative to all those people. And for those of you uh, during that struggle that I had that reached out to me, whether it was via text, a phone call, sent me packages, I want you to know that two years later, I have not forgotten, not at all. And I'm super appreciative if I have not reached out to you on a personal level and told you how much I appreciated you and thank you. Uh, I apologize, but do not think for any minute that it was unnoticed because it certainly was. So on behalf of Lou and Barry, I am the booker, Jeff Bowdrin, and we will see you next week. Take it home, Lou.